Bienvenidos a Crónicas de la Raza. Welcome to La Raza Chronicles. On tonight's program, we focus on La Isla de Cuba. We bring you an interview with the director of CENESEX, Cuba's National Center for Sexual Education, Centro Nacional de Educación Sexual, Dr. Rivero, who's also a leading specialist in gender studies and masculinity. We'll also bring you an interview with groundbreaking new singer Daime Arrocena, who has been touring around the world with much acclaim. All this and much more. We'll even bring you an interview about an innovative event happening this weekend at La Peña. Stay tuned. I'm Camila Landau for La Raza Chronicles. I'm here today with Ramon Rivero Pino, professor and scholar of gender identity and masculinity studies and subdirector of CENESEX, Centro Nacional de Educación Sexual de Cuba, the Cuban Center of National Sexual Education. Welcome. I would like to ask you, what is sexual education? ¿Qué, qué significa la educación sexual? Well, sexuality is an important dimension of the personality. Sexuality is not only biological or only about public health or even purely about intercourse. It relates with everything from self-esteem, erotic desire, our feelings, has to do with our relationships, our communication, and our responsibility in life, which is to say it is an all-encompassing element of our personal development. That's why when we are more cognizant about our sexuality, we are more free as people. We can find better paths in our lives, and we are more liberated. Somos personas que nos podemos orientar mejor en la vida. Somos personas más emancipadas. And what is it that distinguishes the Cuban sexual education programs from those uh, in other places like the United States? ¿Y qué es la diferencia entre el programa cubana de educación sexual y el resto del mundo, por ejemplo, de los Estados Unidos? Bueno, Cuba es Cuba is one of the few places in the world, if not the only one, that integrates sexual education in all ministries in the country and all organizations of our civil society. 
This work of integrating sexual education for the population as a whole is very important because it prevents this work from being fragmented. For example, Senesex is an institution that coordinates the intersector work of integral sexual education. In Cuba, each one of the ministries and civil societies has their own specific role. For example, the Ministry of Education is in charge specifically for the sexual education from preschool to university. Realiza esta labor a través de un programa específico de educación sexual en las, en las escuelas que abarca desde la enseñanza preescolar hasta la enseñanza universitaria. I understand that Mariela Castro is with Cenesex, where you work directly with her, are working on an intensive campaign against homophobia. Can you comment on the importance of that campaign? Tengo entendido que Mariela Castro y ustedes en Cenesex y usted trabajando directamente con ella, están trabajando en un programa contra la homofobia en Cuba. ¿Puedes comentar en qué es la significancia de aquel programa? Sí, la, en la labor de educación integral de la sexualidad, un elemento element importante of all forms of discrimination that has not only to do with sexual orientation and gender identity, but has to do with all forms of discrimination because all have the same origin, which is the oppression of the human beings. So, in the specific case of sexual orientation and gender identity, we have been developing workshops and training against homophobia and transphobia that are educational space for the Cuban population where we train civil servants, officials in a community space to bring awareness to the Cuban population as a whole. We have incorporated the fight against homophobia and transphobia as part of the fight for human rights. We feel that this is essential for the development of the society as a whole and our development as human beings. Eh, por, como parte de, de, del desarrollo integral de la, de la sociedad, eh, como parte de la lucha por el bienestar, la justicia y la emancipación humana. Muchas gracias. Bienvenidos a los Estados Unidos. Muchas gracias a ustedes por la invitación.
You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. We just heard an interview with Ramon Rivero Pino. So, Valerie, I have Valerie Landau here with me in the studio. So, Valerie, how did you meet Ramon? I just returned from leading a delegation on culture, society, and LGBT rights in Cuba. And we were greeted the first night by Mariela Castro, who is the director of the Center for Sexual Education in Cuba, as well as a group of activists who work with her. And we met Ramon Rivero Pino, who is the subdirector or the acting director of CENESEX. And we saw a lot of evidence of the progress that have been made in Cuba around issues of gender equity, starting with the profound impact that the work that CENESEX on the legal aspects. These activists go out and work with networks of network around gender identity issues and gender equity. And so this includes things like free legal advice to people who feel that they've been discriminated against based on issues of gender identity. We found a lot of evidence of the work that the Center for Sexual Education had done. We saw a huge impact, everything from speaking with lawyers who represent people who feel like they've been discriminated against because of issues of gender identity or gender inequity. We met the head of the sexual education of curriculum and pedagogy for the Ministry of Education, who showed us the curriculum or just segments of the curriculum that started in preschool and ends in high school with several themes. And these themes were things that really surprised us because the themes for sexual education were issues like respect, empathy, freedom of expression, the development of the affective domain and getting in touch with emotions, effective communications around emotional issues, and a whole list of these kinds of issues. And we were really surprised because when we looked at the curriculum, subjects such as what they call the biological aspects were really sort of sub-goals way down buried in the in the curriculum. They see that sexual health is really based on issues of respect, of communication, and of empathy, and the idea of true self-expression in a free society. And so that was really surprising to see. So they start at preschool with helping children to learn how to respect each other. They also teach the children just basic hygiene, like washing their hands, etc. And they feel like this lays the foundation for later in life to have healthy sexual relations and a positive self-esteem. So those were some of the evidence. We also traveled to the small town where we met the first popularly elected official, sort of they call it popular power, which is in this case something like the city council member who was openly transgender and was elected for the second term. She told us about her struggles and difficulties of discrimination in her early years and now was feeling like for the first time she was getting the respect that she deserved. That was really heartfelt and moving testimony. Then we went to the city of Santa Clara and met with the director of cultural center called El Mejunje de Silverio, where since 1984, he's been creating a safe space for everyone. So it's a cultural center that he really strove to make sure that all members of the community were accepted. He specifically didn't want to make a gay space because he didn't want there to be this sort of them and us 
feeling in the community. And so he made a space where when we, we arrived in the afternoon and there were senior citizens watching a singing performance, and then later that night there was a disco where it was mostly for young people, and on the way there we saw around 600 people showed up, and there was you know transgender people out in full drag, and there was straight people and older people, and it was just an amazing event to see how everybody came together. And they also had an art gallery And the next morning we arrived and they were having a children's show. So they just really created this all-inclusive safe space. And we really heard about how the society has moved away from the machista, sexist view and is really trying to address oppression and inclusion and diversity. And they felt like tolerance was the first step but they're now really moving past that and want to be an all-inclusive society because they feel that this issue of, that we kept hearing repeated, that discrimination has the same root no matter what form it takes, and that root is oppression. And so they had really embraced this idea of diversity and integrated into the whole fabric of revolution had set up. And that included everything from integrating sex education and issues of gender identity and gender equity into the healthcare system, into the education system, into the committees for the defense of the revolution at the block level, through the women's organization, through cultural organizations in the Ministry of Culture, through the Union of Writers and Artists. So it was a completely integral approach, as well as taking on the legal issues. There's still a long way to go, but you could see it was palpable, the change in Cuban society, the issues around gender identity, and the prevalence of women in positions of power were really quite impressive. And I have to say, I started going to Cuba in the 60s, so I've been able to see (laughs) the changes over the decades. And I really was quite astounded at the progress that was made. I'm speaking to Valerie Landau. She's talking to us about her most recent trip to Cuba. She's leading tours and been there many, 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 many times, many, many times just in the last few years, actually. So, Valerie, something that you mentioned earlier as we were chatting off air, you said that really Cuba has moved from just treating the disease and prevention to investing in whole people and this holistic way where people can actually flourish and feel more free and enjoy life more. You've given some examples of what that looks like. Do you have any more examples of what that felt like and what you saw in Cuba? Well, first of all, I was translating for a doctor and I translated the word prevention as the focus of their healthcare program. And the doctor stopped me and said, no, no, not prevention. We've moved way past prevention. We're looking for wellness and thriving in our population. And some evidence that we found of that was, actually, we saw evidence of that everywhere, starting with the statistics of longevities, where now Cubans outlive Americans. And we saw senior citizens doing exercises in the parks. And we saw senior centers where not only did the seniors come in the morning and play with the children from the preschool next door, but they also then do activities that's such as arts and crafts and, you know, just sort of a care. And then they can have lunch and a nap. And then when it's five o'clock, they go home to their families, just sort of an inclusion. The other thing that I think struck all of us was despite how hard Cubans work, there was a sense of 
calmness and relaxation that really struck me when I came home this time, where they sort of had their basic needs met, and now they're really striving for things like exercise, proper diet, healthy relations and social relations, and incorporating this into all of the structures that they have created, everywhere from the block committee, the women's organizations, the schools, the cultural institutions, even the legal institutions were sort of promoting this healthy lifestyle. And I think the other thing that was really shocking was, although Cubans still strive and struggle to get the basic calories, food is still a huge issue in Cuba, the change in diet was really astonishing, where in all the homes that I visited, and I didn't go to that many homes on this trip because I was mostly staying at hotels with poor. But on the five or six meals that I had in people's homes, vegetables that I had never seen in Cuba before were served and on the table. And when you go to the farmer's market, you see things like broccoli and arugula and kale and chard and bok choy. So I think that was a real change in the Cuban diet of really incorporating fresh vegetables. So that was just another example of how they've used all their different state-run organizations, television, radio, education, block committees, the food distribution networks, et cetera, et cetera. And another, another piece of evidence is we visited the, a very large biosphere called the Sierra del Rosario, where they have a community called Las Terrazas as well as several other communities. And one of the things that they're doing is every year they have a big party where they invite people from all the different towns to come and bring traditional dishes and write out the recipes as an exchange. But in addition, they were asking people to bring seeds, some for their seed bank so that they would have heirloom seeds, but also to share with the other people so that they could just start having more biodiversity in their homegrown plants. So, I mean, there was so many examples of wellness as part of government-run programs. It was quite inspiring. Valerie Landau, why don't you tell us a little bit about the mission behind your work and upcoming projects you see on the horizon? Well, I've been taking tours to Cuba of people who are interested in a specific topic. And so I will help put together an itinerary for them and really meet leaders in the field in Cuba. So far in the last few years, we did a tour on technology and sustainability in Cuba, on internet and education in Cuba, as well as research. So we took a tour of the National Council of University Research Administrators who made agreements, really high-level agreements with Cuban entities so that researchers can start doing research projects collaboratively with Cuba, as well as this last tour, which focused on society, culture, and LGBT rights. And I also work closely with my brother, Greg Landau, and son, Camila Landau, who've been leading tours around culture since they're both Grammy-nominated musicians and producers. So we really tried to help create really high-level, really unique tours where people not only go to see the tourist sites, but really have one-on-one exchanges with some of the leaders in their field in Cuba. On this tour, for example, we met Raul Castro's daughter, Mariela Castro, who greeted us on the first night, and then subsequently Quintly invited us to a whole series of events that she was hosting, and we were able to meet Ramon Rivero Pino and then actually invited him to come to the Bay Area and 
we really had these kind of one-on-one relationships with people. And I think that's a unique thing that our family can bring because of the deep roots that we have in Cuba. And Valerie, what are some trips that you see on the horizon or how can people get in touch and connect to your work? Yeah, we're just now planning uh, two delegations that I think are going to be incredible. You can find out soon on our website, which is called landouttravel.com. But one is going to be at the end of October, early November, which the director of the National Ballet of Cuba invited me to bring a group of ballet dancers to come and study directly with the National Ballet of Cuba and learn the Cuban ballet techniques. So that will be a really extraordinary opportunity. And that's for serious dancers. They're requiring people be able to dance on point to be eligible for that tour. But we'll be writing that up soon. And then also in January, we're planning a really exciting tour that I'm super excited about with a leading expert in addiction management. She has been working for many years on addiction and has an 87% success rate in smoking cessation and cessation of alcoholism. So we're also going to be looking for people who are interested in that topic, and it'll be a really unique opportunity. It'll Instead of a tour, it will be an actual workshop that'll be intensive four days of learning the techniques that have been so successful over the last 15 years. And where can they go again for that information? Landouttravel.com. Great. Wow, that addiction one sounds especially interesting. How unique. Well, I just wanted to say that also if people have a specific goal, so for instance, if they're interested in something like, I want to learn about technology in Cuba, and there's a lot going on in that field, or I want to learn about how Cubans are dealing with some certain problem, you can come to me and I will personalize for your needs. That's the voice of Valerie Landau. We had the pleasure to speak to her about her ongoing tours to Cuba and her recent experience uh, connecting to a lot of leaders in the field of gender identity, reproductive health, LGBTQ rights, and more. Thank you so much, Valerie, for joining us.
This next interview was conducted in the field by our own Brenda Iescas with Daime Arrocena, one of Cuba's hottest new singers. It was recorded right before she played in our very own Oakland, California at the New Parish just a few months ago. What was the first musical memory of you singing? Uh, I can't remember. I have all my life singing. Uh, I, my mom has pictures of me singing, I don't know, with three, four years old. One day, there was a competition for a kid. It was a sing a song, and if you if you win, you, you get a, a, a toy, something like that. So yeah, I said to my parents, I want to sing, and my mom was like, no, what you're gonna do? So I jumped there, I started to sing, and I won that competition. My mom said that I sang a song of Selena, yeah. no, I don't know the name of the song, but she said that I was singing like crazy, <laughs> and I won. So after that, my my parents said, okay, we have to pay attention to this kid. We have to, you know, I I got pictures of that moment too with 
some balloons and uh, my toy and you know if a really big is mine and yeah. sweet is my mouth <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's I think that's that is one of my first memories singing So I noticed also there's some videos of you online playing with a lot of female ensembles. How do you feel about women in jazz? Are there enough women playing jazz right now? When I was 19, I created my own band. My first own band, its name was Alami. And all I want was to make girls, young girls, play jazz. So all the girls that were playing with me they were just really good players trying to get into the jazz mood, into the jazz world. I said always, why I am the only woman in the stage, the only woman in the band. Also, when you are a singer, you are not a jazz player, you are a singer. <laughs> so leading a band, you get like more respect. It's, it's sad, but it's like that. So first, I was looking for more women, young girls, enjoying jazz, playing jazz. And I think that we have so many good players in the, in the, in the world that they don't try jazz. What kind of music do you hear in Cuba when you're there? What kind Everything. Of music? We, 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 we don't have information, we don't have internet, we don't have Wi-Fi, but we get the music 
I really don't know how, but you know, viva la pirateria. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, I'm a musician too. I need to get money, I know, but that's the only way that we get music in Cuba. It's like that. Sadly, we are gonna lose things that make us special. But I think the Cuban soul is so strong. It's strong enough to keep that feeling, to keep that pure feeling or identity. Oakland is your last day of your tour here in California. Where are you going to next? I'm going to New York. I'm gonna just sing a song there. <laughs> nice. Um, for the big event in the Lincoln Center. Um, women of the world. I'm gonna be representing Cuba there. I mean, it's like women from everywhere in the artistic or cultural life of their country. So let's see how it goes. And then back in London. Where are you most excited of going to in those cities? I really want to see Italy. It is gonna be the first time that I'm gonna go there. You know, I, I, I've been in Spain too. So like, see how it goes. So what are you thinking about for your next musical project? Two things. Now it's coming out a new CD. His name is One Takes. And it's a CD that we made in Cuba when we were recording the, the session for the Rumbas documentary that Havana Club, I mean Havana Cultura made in Havana. And, you know, we got some free time at the studio. We had all the world band there. So we started to record things that we just like, you know, songs from all the times, from the 70s, from the 80s that we like in that free time. And we got to record in like one takes uh, nine songs. So the label decided to release the CD. With this recording session, you know, just with the heart in the studio and having fun. We add later some backing vocals and it was all. So that's the recording session of the studio, just having fun in a couple of hours, you know, with a bit of post-production, anything else. So that's why this city is gonna, in name is gonna be One Takes. And next, in the reality, like the second CD of Daimia Rosena. We are planning to record it this year. We should release next year. You mentioned the album One Takes. When is it coming out? May the 6th. How can our listeners keep in touch with you? So we have everything in iTunes, in Spotify, in uh, SoundCloud, Thank you, Daime, for being on our show. And I wish you luck on your future concerts in London and Italy, everywhere you go. I wish you good luck. And, Let's um, see how it goes. <laughs> and I hope our listeners could keep in touch with you via all your websites and Brownswood recordings. Yeah. So thank you to Daime. This was in Brenda Yescas for La Raza Chronicles, Cónicas de la Raza.
that was Daime Arosena here live at the New Parish in Oakland for La Raza Chronicles, Cronicas de la Raza.
for the song Don't Unplug My Body by Daime Arrocena, straight from Cuba. You're listening to La Raza Chronicles, Crónicas de la Raza. On today's program, we're going to get to talk about what keeps everyone moving, keeps people inspired, keeps them connected to the world and the world we want to create, which is art and culture. We're talking about a really incredible performance that is around the corner. And it's a performance that is going to incorporate a lot of different aspects that maybe people haven't seen together. So I have in the studio with me, Mira and Rodrigo. They are dance monks. So I'm going to have them tell us a little bit about what's happening. There's going to be a few shows. So June 24th through the 26th. Why don't you tell us about the marketplace and the different events that folks can experience some of the work that you all do? Well, we're founding directors of a company called Dance Monks, and we focus on the relationship between people and nature, specifically. And this particular project is called Tlaoli, which is Nahuatl for corn, which is an indigenous language from Mexico or from Mexico. And this particular project is a look at corn as essential to Mexican cultural identity. Um, and we're also looking at the mythic relationship between people and plants, traditional sacred farming, foods, and agricultural rituals. And so we have a performance, which is an interdisciplinary performance, uh, which includes dance, uh, sound by Laura and Sera. We're inviting a, a local musician to perform with us as well, and also video. Um, so it's an interdisciplinary look at corn, specifically the relationship between people and that particular plant. So I know that you two really just dig deep. You're people that have done a lot of work connecting culture and art and all these different facets together. So people may not know what to expect from Dance Monks. So Rodrigo or Mira, why don't you tell us a little bit about what inspires you two and has pushed you to take on this project? One of the reasons why we create these companies because we we feel this passion for nature and obviously dance has been a really important part of honoring nature for many many centuries and it's interesting to to think that in the 21st century we're creating dance that are in a sense still rituals 
and which move us is our love for nature. That's what keeps us dancing. We're also really interested in this particular project. We're really asking questions regarding cultural displacement and specifically amnesia also in terms of people's lack of or memory in terms of our relationships to nature. And so in this particular case, we're looking at corn and some of the really old mythology around corn, specifically to our own ancestry. So we're looking at those really old relationships and how they interweave with story and how we are able to, through memory and also through direct relationship, keep those relationships alive that oftentimes in modern times uh, we forget. I'm speaking to both Mira and Rodrigo. They make up Dance Monks, and they're putting on this really multidisciplinary, interesting performance and exposition that is going to be held at La Peña, one of our favorite community locations here in Berkeley, California. So what can people expect to see or experience if they attend the performance? This particular performance is a a dance and video and visual installation. So we're inviting people into an entire world. So when you enter the space, all of your senses will be engaged right away. We're working with um, lighting and um, sound. So people will have a chance to be immersed in this world of Tlaoli, people of the corn. We also have projections that we'll be using that are videos, specifically a program called Maestros Olvidados, which means forgotten teachers. And that's of particular interest to us because we've been researching a lot of agricultural rituals, which are and also ways of life and ways of connecting to agriculture in a sacred way. And people are, are starting to forget those ways. And so that particular video projection is specific to a way of working with the land in Mexico City specifically. And so we're interested in projecting some of those ways, those forgotten ways. And uh, Rodrigo, would you like to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, we'll talk a little more about Maestros Olvidados specifically because Mia was talking about specifically about a place called Xochimilco. Now it's part of Mexico City. That's a place where people still grow food in a traditional way that it had been kept by really special people, the elders who still grow in chinampas. Chinampas is a system which allows farmers to grow food inside of a lake by building literally an island inside of a lake. Actually, Mexico Tenochtitlan, Mexico City, was on top was built on top of, of chinampas, and this is a very efficient way of agriculture that still allows people nowadays in, in Mexico City, in the surroundings of Mexico City, to, to grow, for example, flowers. And we are looking at, into those techniques in a way that is seeing them as practices that shouldn't be forgotten, that it should be, should be preserved for future generations. And we look at the poetry and the beauty of, of people working in those ways, because in our work, you will see many times present uh, pedestrian movement, uh, everyday movement that we also see as dance. Like you can see sometimes people carrying baskets or walking on the land. And those simple actions, we see them also as dance. So in a sense, we are honoring. We are honoring Mexican culture, and we are honoring a very special way 
in particular farmers, farmers who are still growing their food in the traditional ways, particularly for this project specifically in Mexico. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about where and when and all the details about this performance piece? So Tlauli People of the Corn will be presented at La Peña Cultural Center in Berkeley, California on June 24th, 25th, and 26th. And we also have some open houses or marketplaces. Um, The next one is September the 24th and October the 29th. This is part of a year-long project that is all in relationship to corn through La Peña Cultural Center. We're artists in residence this year for 2016 and also a little bit of 2017. So we're really blessed and really grateful to La Peña Cultural Center for this opportunity to be able to focus on corn, which is our current passion. And how can people stay connected to your work in general? Uh, We have a website that you can feel free to visit, which is updated, and it's at dancemonks.com. Thank you so much. I've had both Dance Monks here in the studio. I've had Mira and Rodrigo, and we look forward to hearing about your future projects. This is really a ceremony. Uh, This is a ritual. And if we can have many of you with us, we will be really so happy, and we'll sure that you'll enjoy it. And you also get a chance to eat some delicious food while you're at it. (laughs) Thank you so much for inviting us. You've just heard La Raza Chronicles. You've been listening to Crónicas de la Raza. If you enjoyed this program or would like to listen to it again, you can access it on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash La Raza Chronicles. If you have any show ideas or would like to get involved with our collective, you can always email us at Chronicles at kpfa.org. And don't forget to like us on Facebook to stay up on our news. Muchísimas gracias y buenas noches. Thank you.